Hello and welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath and today we have Min. Hello, nice to meet you guys. Um, Min and I met through uh, Paul, who was earlier on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I am really excited to get to know you some more. See? <laughs> um, cool. So let's dive in a bit. Uh, Min, tell me, okay, first, where, where are you from? Let's start there. I was born in North Carolina, but my parents are from Vietnam. Like okay. they were first, uh, they immigrated here right after the Vietnam War. Okay. Okay. So, um, what, like paint, paint a picture of like what that was like in your childhood growing up. Hmm. A lot of confusion, a lot of neglect and trauma because my family was still processing all the stuff that happened to them during the war. Oh, so okay. that was a bit bumpy uh, start. Yeah. A bumpy start. Copy that. Um, yeah. So the Vietnam war didn't end until like when? Honestly, I'm not even sure. It was like seventies or eighties. So they're definitely their lifetime, right? So mm -hmm. what, um, I, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who was in any way connected to it. So what kind of things, uh, were they around? Like, what was that line? I mean, I like, don't need to go deep. <laughs> oh man. They lost family members. Um, my grandfather was in the war, got shot. He survived. Uh, he's <laughs> passed now. Cause he's, he was like 94. Oh, I had a good long life. Yeah. He, he had a long life. 94 is a good number. Yeah. But my mom, she tried to escape Vietnam after the war, uh, got caught a couple times, spent three years in labor camps, like oh, plenty of family members got raped, like, yeah, generally bad times. Yeah. Um, so how would you describe your parents, like as people? Um, father, piece of shit. <laughs> Okay. Um, mom, she's a very sweet woman. Um, very kind hearted, uh, been through a lot and still looks at the good in people and always tries to help people. Um, kind of lives with her heads in the clouds, but don't blame her for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweet woman. What about, uh, like, Anyone else that, like, who else was around when you were growing up? Do you have other family or? Mm, my grandmother was around. She's kind of like typical Asian tiger lady. Asian tiger lady? Yeah. Oh my God. She's so ornery and so stubborn. And like, <laughs> when she doesn't like something, she's so mean about it. <laughs> like, so mean. But, um, yeah. Do you have any like stories that would, uh, like an uh, example? God, an example, man, just her yelling about like different things around the house being dirty or like just not the way she wanted it. Like, and, uh, my mom wouldn't ever argue with her when she was like younger, when I was younger, but then as she got older, she's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And, um, my, my grandmother had a lot of like tendencies from Vietnam that just like, wasn't really relevant over here, like hoarding and other stuff of food and resources that like 
is so readily available in America that she was always worried about in Vietnam. So it's like that scarcity mindset. Mm. I think like even my grandmother was a little like that from the great depression, mm-hmm. like growing up in bread lines and stuff like that. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> yeah, I get that. But at the same time, I'm like there's certain things here that you like, you don't have to quite worry so much. And if you can get over that mental hump, like things are a lot less stressful. Mm. So what, um, I've never been to Vietnam and I haven't really known anybody from there. So how would you describe like Vietnamese culture? Um, Vietnamese culture is very friendly actually. Now that like the world, everything's settled, like people are a lot more open-minded about travelers, tourism and stuff. Cause they make a fair amount of money through tourism and they, are actually like invested by in by a bunch of like corporations for resorts, hotels, golf courses, and other stuff. And like they make a lot of their revenue that way. Cause it's a beautiful country. Lots mm-hmm. of beautiful beaches and like the caves greenery. are what I want to go see. Yeah. The biggest cave in the world. Yeah. I'd go camping inside. Definitely. It's got what a river, like it's an ecosystem. Yeah. I'm in different climates. That's legit. Yeah. Um, so, but in terms of like, um, like the, the family life inside the house, like what, what is uniquely Vietnamese? Hmm. Like someone who wouldn't have experienced it before, but they're like, whoa, what's this? I think it's kind of very similar to a lot of other Asian countries where like meals are very communal, like a bunch of dishes and you just share from the table. Hmm. Um, I grew up American Vietnamese, so it was a bit disjointed yeah. trying to fit two cultures in at once. And my mom was like a single mom, so mm. she didn't really have time to do all the things that normal Asian households would do or Vietnamese households. So I couldn't really tell you. Oh, okay. So then let's talk about that because that is uh, definitely got to be a challenge having those two different cultures because growing up here, right? Mm-hmm. So what... Like, what kind of things did you go through that maybe people wouldn't know about if they didn't uh, experience that? Hmm. I don't feel like anything I've gone through is, like, all that unique as far as being in a um, family where it's two different cultures. Like my mom also didn't really have the time to try to teach me like Vietnamese culture all that much. So that's kind of lost. I know the language like passingly well, like I can get around in Vietnam. Okay. Mm. But it's not like I'm fluent in it. Um, and I've really like kept very minimal Vietnamese traditions as far as like I keep a shrine. Um, like there's certain customs of, like honoring the dead and um, praying that I adhere to, but it's along the lines of Buddhism, not so much like Vietnamese. Mm. So like, yeah, I think a lot of the culture was lost whenever my mom moved us over here. Mm. Yeah. uh, That's interesting. My, um, my stepmom was half Korean. And so for her, like the way her mom grew up, her mom was super, um, I guess, insecure about 
that so she didn't want her to learn Korean or like pass down any of that stuff. I don't understand why, why but not? I don't know, but that's just how she grew up. And I think it was also, um, maybe a couple of generations earlier. So, uh, not generations, but you know, like a couple of decades earlier, and this is like the Korean war and stuff. So maybe there was something from that. I don't, I don't, I didn't speak Korean, so it was difficult to talk to her, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I feel that had an impact on my stepmom a lot because of that thing. Like there's a part of you and then she didn't know much about it because for whatever reason got just uh, disturbed so i don't know i don't know it's all very interesting because for me i've got like um my dad's side of the family my parents split up when i was three so i was jumping back and forth between so it's like two different worlds almost <laughs> so it's not like uh literally a whole different culture but it's still in a way he's got like this farm life where my grandfather had a cattle ranch and then like you grew up on the farms in the summers okay. yeah i took driving tractors when i was 13 <laughs> and stuff total like the most white living in cornfields kind of thing you can have that's what it was how are you so diverse i mean i don't know i don't i don't feel like i am honestly i uh i had a lot of experiences but they're not in like a, a certain kind of depth because like, for example, that farm life. Yeah. I drove a tractor and stuff. That's cool. But I didn't like live there. So I, it's not the same. It's more like an extended holiday. Yeah. That's what Fair I like, but I don't know. But anyway, um, so what would be like, uh, your favorite memory as a kid? Shoot. I love being outside. I love nature, mm -hmm. going out um, with the family, because we eventually um, reconnected with family members that made it over here. Because it took some time to find out where all your family members went. Because yeah. like it was kind of just a scramble to escape the country whenever the war ended. So we had family members that got transported to different parts of the United States like cousins that went to Canada, all these different things. So like, I'm honestly, I'm really amazed at how they found each other. Cause I have no idea how, like when you're just dropped in another country, you're able to find the people you're trying to look for. Um, was this before the internet? Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm pretty sure there was like government assistance and like finding family members and whatnot, but still like it, it boggles the mind that they found each other. Did they just get out or is there like a refugee program or like how, how did um, that work? Do you know? So most of my family members escaped via boats and got to other countries and then like somehow earned their money or earned money to make it to America. Or in my mom's case, she was picked up by a u.s navy destroyer mm. like they had been stuck out to sea for two weeks wow. um, with a dead engine and like would have starved and if not for like some kind um fishermen who like stopped by and would give them like whatever water and food they could because they couldn't make it to shore and they couldn't be towed because the nearby countries said no refugees so mm -hmm. they were they were left to die for and almost did until a yeah navy carrier um or destroyer found them and took them in and somehow they took them to 
It's a little ironic. The destroyer is the savior. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, they somehow made it to North Carolina is where they dropped them off because I guess that was an ingress point where they did a lot of uh, refugee processing. Mm. And my mom stayed there for a while and then decided to move to California because she heard that's where some family members were. An aunt had made it there. Mm. And so we met up with her and then other family members and cousins like found us. And of course we made like friends with other refugees. So we would have outings like Vietnam um, has a lot of like natural um, rivers, inlets and other stuff where you can like fish and hunt and do all this stuff. So like they found the places in California where that's okay to do. So mm -hmm. we'd go clamming or fishing or catching crayfish. And it was just a lot of fun doing that with a group. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, even just doing like fishing with my dad and my grandfather was a lot of fun. So I can't imagine doing all sex. Like California has got such a diverse landscape. Yeah. That sounds like just a blast. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, What did you, like, how did you get to where you are now? Like, what did you decide to do as you were growing up? A lot of my growing up is figuring out, like, who I was and getting past, like, the issues I had growing up as a child. Because, like, being a single mom and having her suffering all that trauma that she did, like, I was neglected a lot and I didn't really know who I was. I had this whole identity issue of, like, Vietnamese American where I wasn't, didn't really feel like I was one or the other. Um, so, but I was very grateful for my, my experiences and my life here in America. So I just so I decided to join the military and give back. Mm. So I joined the military while I was trying to, you know, decide what I really want to do and where I really want to go in life. And the military does provide you with a lot of opportunities and money and um, money for school. They just kind of turn you into a robot. <laughs> so you got to figure that out too. Yeah. Um, but I think I just like really simplified things in my head and I was just like, what do I really want out of life? And I just like a little bit of happiness, contentment, help other people leave like good karma where I can and not stress out. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. What did, uh, like, what was the thing that kind of helped you figure out who you were? Hitting the lowest point of my life. Oh, what's that? <laughs> um, so in all of my depression and like, I got into some drug usage because like I was so depressed, I was looking for something that I didn't know what it was. So to fill that void, I turned to drugs and after a certain point, like drugs will lead you to two places, jail or dead. So appealing. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but if you can figure out what it is in the meanwhile, like on the way and you realize like, Oh, I'm at the lowest point of my life. Like where do I want to go now? Cause there's nowhere to go, but up. And that's when I turned my life around. I was like, Oh, this is what I want. Like something simple, something nice with good people doesn't have to be much. And like where I have the opportunity to help others. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, that's a whole another story that we won't get into. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and so what are you doing now? I do software testing for a data analytics company because while I was in the military, I did get training on networking and cybersecurity and computer stuff. So luckily those skills kind of transferred and helped me get a job in the real world. Mm, the uh, real world. Yeah. Military. So military is not the real world. No, it's not. <laughs> so what is military? Like what's that? I've never been in. The um, depending on which branch you're in, um, the air force is more bureaucracy. I imagine I couldn't say what the Navy is like being if you were stuck on a boat, but man, those Navy guys are crazy. <laughs> They're wild. They party hard too. So were you Air Force or Air Force? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. So what was the Air Force like? The Air Force was like more like a corporation, but of course they could be a lot more strict and a lot, um, you can't just quit. Yeah, you can't just quit. And that's one of the things that gets me, got me was that like, no matter how bad it got, like you couldn't quit. Like working 12 plus hour days, like six months in a row, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, and you don't get a break and you're just treated like shit the whole time, you can't quit. Mm. And there's a lot of um, fraud, waste, and abuse that goes on that just all gets swept under the rug because you don't have the power to do anything about it. And it kind of like crushes your soul when you mm. see like people being mistreated and there's nothing you can do because it's part of the system or how they um, have established this dynamic of power control. And they brainwash you into it where like you think it should it's normal because that's how it's been. That's how people are currently being treated, but you know, it's not right. Mm. So what, what about, uh, like what did, what would you say are like lessons you learned from being in the military? Yeah. Lessons I learned like integrity first, um, stand up for what you do is right. Like if you, you're taught in the military, if you're given an unlawful order, don't follow it. But then they're going to punish you anyways for it. So it's like hypocrisy at its best. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to make that decision. Are you going to follow an order that isn't lawful? Or are you going to stand up for what you believe is right and like disobey it and take the punishment? So one of the biggest things I learned is like integrity and stand up for what you believe is right, even if the whole system is against you. Hmm. Well, like, let's say you, I mean, I'm sure it depends what it is, but, uh, if you did stand up for something, even though it's against an order, what happens? So good example is one of my like friends. He's, he was a Sergeant in the air force as well. And he's a great dude, like always looking out for the people under him and did what was right. He saw, he, um, fraud going on where they were stealing funds and spending it on trips the like high ranking officials and whatnot were spending squadron funds on tdy's temporary duty tours that were just golf trips <laughs> and he called them out on it but he was only like middle of the rank like um enlisted 
and these are senior um, NCOs and officers. So they tried to get him in trouble for it. And they threw a bunch of like equipment and paperwork at him saying that he's liable for it, but he wasn't liable for it. Cause like to do certain things, like if you're in charge of equipment, you have to be signed for it. You have to like go through this whole process to put you in charge of it. And so they try to screw him over by saying he lost all this equipment that they misplaced. And it's obvious that that uh, happened. And so he pushed it even further to the inspector general and they canceled his orders. They did a bunch of things to like just screw over his career. And then they disbanded the squadron and shredded all the paperwork. <laughs> so yeah, they got away with it. And meanwhile, they destroyed his career and made him hate the military. Awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that sucks. I know. <laughs> what about, uh, okay, so what's your like favorite part about the military? Honestly, the random stuff you get to do and places you go. Like, I got to drive a bunch of really cool vehicles, and that was a lot of fun. Like what? Um, like 10-ton articulated forklifts, a bunch of like giant um lmtvs a 10 ton uh, forklift yeah articulated <laughs> what does that mean so there's an axis in the middle between the um or there's a point in the middle between the two um uh forks no the drive shafts so like if this was the uh vehicle this is the front wheels this is the back like it can turn like that ah, so the you. whole body pivots towards each other for tighter turning mm. it's like 10 tons oh god um what do you lift with that pallets giant pallets of equipment because mm. i was in a combat communications unit we our mission was to set up bases in locations that had nothing so we brought in generators satellites like all our computers all this like hardened equipment in boxes that could uh endure the transport and we'd load them on these pallets and these pallets are like a couple tons a piece of just hardware mm. very expensive pallets yeah and you would pick up these pallets with the 10-ton forklifts and load them onto vehicles or load them onto planes also mm. drove plane loaders and other stuff like these half a million dollar um vehicles where you put five or seven pallets on it oh my bad it's all good and there's a conveyor belt you press a button and just slides them all onto the uh, plane that's cool all i got to do is uh take a tractor to lift up hay bales and put them in a <laughs> little theater <laughs> pretty much same thing right <laughs> yeah except if i drop it who cares yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that's cool so uh, once you got out of the military, well, why did you get out? Is it just the contractors up? Um, well, you could, you always have the option to reenlist. Um, but after seeing all the stuff I saw and like not being able to leave the base I was at, mm -hmm. because most of the time you're at a base for one or two years and then you get orders somewhere else to keep you like learning new things, seeing new locations and just like freshening up like the mine and the staff but the base i was at was the one that was doing all the fraud and they were actually keeping people there for 
two to three times longer than they normally should. And so... Because fraud. Yeah, because the more people they had there, the more money they were getting for um, their daily operations and their... Supplies and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So... Sorry. Is it possible to turn off the heater? Because it'll yeah. come in the microphone. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. But... Um, more people at the base, more fraud. Yep. More so fun. the fact that I couldn't leave, even though I tried like all these different things to leave, they, I just gave up on the military and said, I'm just getting out because it's not worth it. Did you at least get to be somewhere cool? No. No? <laughs> not at all. I tried. I tried to go to the Middle East. I tried to go to Asia. I tried to go to like anywhere remote that like people didn't want to go and they still wouldn't let me leave the base and a lot of people were stuck at that base for years I knew a guy that was stuck at that base for like 10 years 10? yeah oh like apparently at first like he wanted to stay and then after like his um second stint at the base like they want to leave but you can't they won't let him oh he knows too much yeah <laughs> does it say off? the yeah. fan yeah just give it a second Give it time. Yep. Give so, it time. Uh, after you got out, that's when you went into software, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Did some traveling after I got out. Where to? New Zealand. New Zealand? Yeah. I want to go so bad. Okay, it's tell me. It's so beautiful. What was it like? Um, did you see the Hobbit houses? Yes, I did. <laughs> I actually went to um, Hobbington. It's called Hobbington? Yeah. That's nice. Did they play the commercial in the airplane when you were flying in? Um, no, I don't think they did. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, they, I think it's like New Zealand Air or something. I don't remember the airplane name, but they had the actors from the Lord of the Rings come and record like a, this is all your in-flight stuff. <laughs> like, and they did a whole thing. It was really, really cool. Oh, it's on YouTube. Cool. You can watch it. Okay. I did not see that. But as soon as oh. you get off the plane, there's like giant wood carvings of like, um, just really cool, fantastical beasts, and then like some of the statues from um, Lord of the Rings. Like, mm. I don't know if they're actually wood or not because you can't get there, or I mean, if they're actually stone or not because you can't get up there and touch it. Mm. But it looks like stone, but it's the giant dwarves from um, the movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, these giant dwarves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oxymoron. <laughs> um. That's cool. So what did you do in New Zealand? Um, so after my time in the military, I played a lot of video games at odd hours of the day. <laughs> and I made friends with a group of international people from like Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Australia. Like through the video games? Or through yeah, through the video games. And so... Playing with them for a couple of years, I became really good friends with them, and one of them invited me to New Zealand for his wedding. Oh. And I had the time, I had the money, so I decided to go. And that's why I was in New Zealand. That's awesome. How do you know the groom? We play video games. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Never met each other before now. <laughs> Opa. I know, right? <laughs> um, okay. New Zealand wedding. That's legit. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, all right, so different topic. What is the most interesting stranger you've ever met? 
shoot he's not a stranger anymore but definitely like one of my internet friends um he's the guy from the uae his name is muhammad we just call him mo for short and he is he speaks six languages six um, he's competing with you show <laughs> well really just because india like yeah, yeah like each state has one language, and I grew up in like three states. Not grew up, but I lived in three states. So yeah, there were it used to be like hundreds of languages spoken in India. It's ridiculous. Like every village would have a distinctly different language. So I get to say I know four. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but yeah, he's a businessman. Owns like a couple different businesses, including a shipping business, and he is used to be a competitive strongman really yeah i think when i met him he said he weighed about 360 pounds of muscle a beast yeah he would have to walk through doorways sideways oh man he's so big um did you ever play mario party yeah remember the like the big like stone wall people that oh yeah 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 (laughs) that's him that's him he said people would run into him and try to hug him and they just hit him and fall off (laughs) so funny and he's like hilarious dude like really good guy um doesn't ever brag about the nice things he does either he does it because like they're right to do not because he wants the attention either Mm. um and Competitive strongman, super nerd, like learned Japanese just so he played video games in Japanese before it got translated. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Super cool, cool. interesting. Um, and, uh, okay. So this is, go back a little bit. Were there any um, pivotal people in your life or like mentors, friends, teachers, anybody like that, that really shaped the way you look at things? Um, yes. I would say this lady in New Zealand. Oh, really? Yeah. What a good trip. I know it, it was honestly like my life changing trip. It, my life saving trip, honestly. Oh, nice. Cause, um, Yeah. I needed to figure some stuff out and New Zealand definitely helped me figure that out. And so plus they have Zorbs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I kind of wanted to do it, but I didn't get, get a chance to do it down there. Mm. But I was like, man, it seems dangerous. I feel like I'd like tweak something. Oh, come on. You're padded. Yeah. Right. It's a big, it's a big inflatable ball. What, what can go wrong? Right. Unless you fall those, through the hole. <laughs> yeah. Those hills look steep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this lady, um, this lady was a seer and a massage therapist and I just wanted the massage. Mm-hmm. Like my back was hurting cause of all the traveling and camping and other stuff I was doing. And I saw this lady at this like, um, transformational festival thing that I was at and she had reasonable prices and a really good like aura about her. So I was like, Hey, I want a massage. So I got one mm-hmm. and as she's like giving me my massage and working out the knots in my back, she's like just asking like very probing questions that like in a gentle way, but they were probing. But then like she stopped asking me questions and then she start, started telling me stuff oh. that I was just like, uh, how do you know that about like how I grew up or my family and whatnot? And then she was like, you need to ask your parents or your mom this question 
Like you need, they, you, there's powers in your family that you don't know about and powers. Yeah. Powers. And at this point I'm an atheist. Like I don't believe in powers, like ghosts are maybe, but like, what, kind of, what kind of powers are we talking? Like my mom has, uh, she's a seer and a sixth sense. My grandmother apparently was a famous fortune teller in Vietnam. Really? Yeah. Like she actually predicted my life 100% accurate up to this point. And like, that's super cool. Yeah. And she knows like how it's going to turn out, but they have a superstition that if you tell them it's going to change, like they can change their path and you don't know how that's going to be. So like, just let them live their own life and make their decisions blind. Hmm. But my mom was like, yeah. And I was like, why didn't you tell me about all this stuff? And she was like, and then I, then I got confirmation that some of the houses that I was in that I was like, were these three out of the six houses we were at haunted? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, great. Why? Huh? Why would you go to haunted houses? No, like we just lived in these houses and oh, they, they happened to be ghosts in them. But I was like a kid and I was seeing things, but I was like, oh, that's just my imagination. Right. But I'm terrified hiding under the blankets, <laughs> but it's actually a ghost. But like they were not mean ghosts. But I'd never believed in that stuff until that point. And then a bunch of other stuff that I didn't understand kind of started making sense where my mom just like had a certain intuition about her where she just knew things. Mm. So that helped rekindle my relationship with my mom because it was kind of rocky because she was never really there when I was a kid. So we didn't have the strongest relationship. Now our relationship's great because of it. Mm. She's just working a lot or, um, yeah, yeah. Being a single mom, like that'll do it. Yeah. Especially barely didn't speak English when she came here. So she had a steep learning curve mm. to acclimate to the country. I can't even imagine. Like I, I literally can't. Yeah. Imagine. Me neither. That's why I don't hold anything against her for like how I grew up. I knew she d did her best. I love her to death for it. But like, I she, mean, and like the boat for two. Oh Yeah. That's a lot. Three years of labor camp too. Yeah, that. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's been through a lot. <laughs> no thanks. She's still super sweet. Uh, um, cool. So, man, I feel like I've learned a lot about you. I like All this. Right. <laughs> so, um, when you meet new people, mm -hmm. what are the kind of characteristics that you pick up on that you're like, oh, I appreciate that mindfulness, attentiveness, like kindness and consider and consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, people that can be themselves and like enjoy themselves and others without like detracting from anybody else's joy, like mm -hmm. takes a certain amount of mindfulness, to not intrude upon other people's like spaces or energy and still like be yourself. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Honesty was, um, was that one of the things that you really figured out for yourself during that whole mm -hmm. period? Yeah. Interesting. Honesty, you said? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. As far as the, um, you said that lady was like one of the pivotal people. Are mm -hmm. there any other ones that kind of changed the course? Mm-hmm. There was a number of people that play like smaller roles within that spiritual journey I had in New Zealand, mm -hmm. but like she was the main one. Um, I like that it was a spiritual journey to New Zealand. Like people think like, oh, India or maybe South America 
something something but new zealand is i just think of beautiful and crazy people <laughs> like in the best way i mean like uh just willing to just whatever they just don't care they'll just oh. invent bungee jumping or something <laughs> um one other person that i remember very distinctly and she's passed like rest in peace her name's rosie and she was a new zealand native um uh they're the maori people and her vision had pretty much gone so she was pretty much blind and she was like an aunt of the bride's family and she was just super gentle and um when i talked to her she was like hey yeah this is our family land because they had like this kind of like um like each maori people like each tribe has their own like spiritual land mm -hmm. that they hold within their their tribe and she said hey there's a spring up here and that spring has a lot of meaning to us it's the spring that feeds life into our valley like you should go up there and uh, pray at it um, and she told me the story behind it because years ago like many 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 years like this spring dried up apparently and there's these birds called um fantails and they're considered the messengers of one of the gods that they believe in and they bear usually good news. And so I was still trying to figure myself out and like had a lot on my mind. She was like, like, just go up there, see the spring, like pray. And she taught me this prayer in uh, Mori. And I can't even remember it now. I wish I did. But it's a introduction to the gods and asking for guidance. And so I make this hike and it's like, quarter mile rough terrain by myself up to find this spring and i finally find it and i like offer the prayer as soon as i do these two fantails like pop out of nowhere and fly within like arm's distance of this branch like right in front of me and they're really cool in the way they fly they're very acrobatic because mm -hmm. they can catch like all sorts of insects out of the air so they're doing all these flips and turns and stuff like right in front of me and i like felt this connection with um spirit that i've never had before Cause like, again, I was, um, pretty much ag atheist at this point and like all the spiritual awakening and like discovering that there is a purpose and a higher being that's like guiding us is that's what I believe now. Mm. If you don't believe that that's on you, <laughs> that's on you. Live, like <laughs> live your life. I hope it changes. But, um, yeah. And I don't know. She made a huge impact on me, even though I didn't really talk to her much. Mm. That's cool. Um, so what's, uh, what's next for you? What are your plans for the next few years? Um, get stable as far as finances go and then plan my trips because I still want to see things around the world and visit people that I need to visit and then figure out where my biggest contributions to my community will be and then work on that. Mm. Fair enough. Oh, uh, we can just touch on this since, you know, the last year and a half has been let's call it, let's say special. Yeah. <laughs> how, um, how did the whole pandemic impact you? Um, any well, aspect of it? 
it took away, you know, a lot of the social aspects, leaving me more time to just be to myself and be more introspective, which I've learned to enjoy. Because mm-hmm. I like being by myself was like, you know, living in a house or an apartment by myself. It was pretty lonely. But now I'm like, being by myself is great. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, it's peaceful. I've learned to enjoy the solitude and the quiet a lot more and like analyze how I want to interact with people too. Mm-hmm. Cause now it's, it's a learning curve to reacclimate to interacting with people and there's energy I'm willing to spend on certain things now and certain things I won't want to spend energy on certain people that just draw too much energy for me that I'm just not willing to put up with. And I'm so much more firm with that now, as opposed (laughs) to before, like I was kind of a people pleaser and try to get along with everybody. Now I'm just like, I'm just avoiding them. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, and, uh, yeah. Is there any, like, uh, I guess just like a message or anything you'd want to say to anybody or wisdom you want to share, anything like that. And travel, like traveling is the best thing for you. Keep an open mind, experience new cultures and learn who you want to be. That's very important. And learn who you don't want to be is just as important. Like you can learn by bad examples. There's a lesson in everything. And I hope that people are, aware enough to take what they can from it as opposed to internalizing their own like fears, doubts, emotions, and negativity so much. Mm. Become wise, not wounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Great phrase. <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, uh, what's your mom's name? Uh, Tam. 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 Thank you for whatever you had to do to get here because I have a min now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, I think that's it. Cool. Anything else you want to share before we go? No, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate this. It's been fun. And, um, yeah, I guess I'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Be well. Be well, John Spartan. <laughs> yeah.